Carl Jung himself had put the exquisitely tooled leather-bound book in a cupboard in 1930, 12 years after the wild inner adventures it recounts were over. His heirs moved it to a bank vault in 1984 and refused to let anyone see it. Perhaps they, like Jung, were concerned that its non-rational elements might be misconstrued as madness and damage his scientific reputation. However, when they learned that certain parts of the book were already available, they allowed Sonu Shamudsani, a professor of Jung history at University College London, to edit the volume. It took 13 years to complete the job. Shamudsani says that Jung began the work in 1913 in response to a personal crisis. He'd established a reputation as one of the leading lights of European psychiatry, who was head of the avant-garde at that time psychoanalytic movement. He'd married, he'd had a, a large family, and he was wealthy. So you could say, what more could you want? But he felt he'd lost his soul. Jung felt he could find meaning and reconnect with his soul only by shifting his focus from the outside world to the inner world. In this way, says Beverly Zabriskie, president of the Jungian Psychoanalytic Association, Jung hoped to enter into a conversation with his soul, or what he termed the spirit of the depths. And he knew he couldn't have a clear conversation with his soul if all these worldly emotions and prejudices and his vanities, he says in one place, his wanting to impress people are blocking him from his soul because he was trying to impress people in the world. He had to let them have their voice. And that's what the Red Book essentially is. To give his emotions voice, Jung would retreat to his study and allow his mind to wander far and deep in both fantasies and waking dreams, unrestrained by convention, reason, or conscious control. It was a technique he called active imagination. Zabriskie says it was in this trance-like state that he met many of the fantastical figures that he wrote about in formal Gothic calligraphy in the Red Book. Some were human, others divine or mythical. Many were hellish. He depicted them all in dazzling colors in a skilled painterly hand. So in the Red Book, you see all these weird little caterpillars and terrible, monstrous-like figures that then Jung could look at and reflect on as indicators of monstrousness in himself. In this way, Jung hoped to become whole and reclaim his soul. If I accept the lowest in me, he wrote, I lower a seed into the ground of hell. The seed is invisibly small, but the tree of my life grows from it. Zabriskie herself is profoundly impressed by Jung's achievement. That he could at night and on weekends work on this profound book, go deeply into his psyche, letting out of it all the kinds of fears and suspicions and self-doubts and still see patients all day, go on lecture trips, speak to Einstein to go that far down and in and come out and be that much of a force in the world too. I find just extraordinary. This was a heroic journey. In fact, Jung asserted that the hero's journey is just one of many constant motifs or archetypes expressed in various ways in religious stories, myths, fairy tales, and the arts in every culture. Jung said that this notion of a repository of universal images 
what he called humanity's collective unconscious, and all his psychological theories derived from the experiences recounted in the Red Book. In that sense, says editor Sonu Shamatsani, it is far more than merely one man's intimate diary. If that's what it was, it wouldn't be terribly interesting. What is interesting is it's how he creates a psychology that forms, has formed a vehicle that many people have found tremendously powerful as an aid to refine meaning in their lives. Questions of ultimate concern, questions that still concern us today. What is the nature of evil? How should one live? What is the good? What is the self? What are our ideals? What is the soul? This book depicts Jung's attempt to grapple with these questions. The publication of Carl Jung's Red Book has given others seeking answers to those questions a new resource in their quest. Its availability and the display of the book itself at New York's Rubin Museum of Art is certain to expand the influence and reach of the great man's many deep, if controversial, ideas. For his part, Jung, who died in 1961, never took sides in the controversy over his theories. He often said, Thank God I am Jung, not a Jungian. This is Adam Phillips, VOA News, New York.